0: Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Loffel-Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio
1: app. You've got to meet this young phenom, Nile Bass, currently serves as the DMV Regional Organizer for the League of Women Voters of the United States, overseeing strategic planning and capacity building initiatives at the DMV and national levels. In particular, she works to develop innovative programming at the league for young voters and voters of color. Notably, she has made history during the pandemic by becoming the first black woman elected as Georgetown University student body president, leading an administration that provided financial stipends, career development programs, secure housing and essential resources to foster an active online student community. She is now at American University in law school. And she is a whopping 23 years old. (laughs) <laughs> so today <laughs> we're going to talk about the importance of voting, um, her role at the League of Women Voters, um, what their in- initiative is, and why she believes it is important, um, for people to vote, especially for people in the 35 and under range. Good morning, Niall Bass. Good morning, my sister. How are you? How are you? I'm good And once you all Listen to this phenom Then you'll understand Why she just became My political correspondent For the entire year Of 2024 (laughs) To talk about What's going on At the national levels And at the local levels For us here So in the DMV area So I want you Connecticut You know Because Philadelphia So goes Philly So goes Pennsylvania In the elections You know all of these things Tell me first uh, What is the League Of Women Voters And how the hell the, The last time I looked The League of Women Voters Were filled with White women 60 and over
0: well, we just got a system update, right? No, yeah. So the League of Women Voters of the United States, it's one of the oldest voter and democracy-based organizations in the country. I believe if it stands, we have over 800 leagues. So that's about local chapters at that state and local level with hundreds of uh, members thereafter who are doing voter registration, voter education, who are doing candidate forms and other points of community-based social action and organizing. Mm-hmm. But similar, and honestly, to your point, we did have our basis in the women's suffragist movement. And that's a lot of important history. But that was a segregating of Black women, of Indigenous women, of not just women, but the intersectional identities geographically, class-wise. And as we're in this transformation journey that we've been on for the last two years, we've been talking about how and where we can make sure that our policies, our procedures, our values, and our programming are as reflective of our diverse and intersectional political landscape as it needs to be. Our wonderful new, or I guess current, uh, CEO Virginia K. Solomon, when she was put in her position, she really put forward the question of, hey, we've existed for 100 years, and that's great. And we have a lot of work to show for that. But this is a new reality of politics. So do we either want to sunset this organization, acknowledge that good work, and put this resource elsewhere? Or do we want to rise to the occasion? And I believe myself, our organizing department, and a lot of amazing people that we have on our team are a part of that rising to that occasion.
1: What made you become involved in the League of Women Voters? How old were you when you did?
0: Oh, my goodness. Twenty two. The, the joke is my first day was the midterm. So we hit the ground running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw, yes. that, I saw my little uh, I saw my employment letter. I was like, November 7th. But yeah, basically, mm-hmm. what I really appreciate about the league is I've always been very interested and engaged in politics. I think that ultimately voting and other forms of political involvement are the most sustainable and accessible ways that we can progress society. But I think that especially in this current moment, we get drugged down by partisanship by talking about candidates. And especially because we have social media, we're not having conversations necessarily about our mayors and our school boards, the people who are making direct infrastructural decisions, but we're having it about AOC and Matt Gates, And it's good to have conversations about this overarching political landscape, but those aren't your representatives. Yes. And especially if we have a gridlock Congress, the change that we need to see isn't gonna come from Biden. It's right. probably gonna come from your municipality government or your yes. local or county government. Right. So and which I is like- why we say local elections
1: matter. So you're exactly. absolutely correct. The school board, the things that we've been focusing here on the source, the school board, the mayoral election, those county seats, you know, that are, that are happening. Those are the ones that are making your decisions. And to your point, uh, Niall, that a lot of what's happening at the federal level, they're turning it back and saying, well, love the state, the state's. And decide. So then we have to come back and look at our states. And so as we're focusing on the presidential election, we really need to pay our attention to the role offices, to the county offices, to the mayoral elections, to the school boards, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Absolutely correct. Now I've got to ask you, somebody just said, I love this lady. Listen, I I brings you. I bring you the people that I know what they're talking about. Nile and I sat at a, I was moderating a conversation where Nile was one of the panelists and I was like, yeah. Uh, and so Laverne says she's on fire. Teach right now. Okay, here we go. So you you are literally going to be our political correspondent for the entire year of 2024. We need you because it, it's a conversation that we need to have now. What made you at the tender age of 23 decide how old were you when you decide that you wanted to get involved and engaged in politics? Because you already know it is said out here that young people don't give a booty about politics and you are you are slow and you don't care. And just all the things that they would say about your age group. Right. So how old were you when you decided that this is what you wanted to get engaged in? And is that why you decided you wanted to become a lawyer?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I think the first election that I was really locked into, so I knew what was happening and I had opinions about it, was Mitt Romney and Obama in 2012. And to be clear, a lot of my grassroots uh, experience has been from my mother and my grandmother. So when I was very young, we lived in Iowa. I remember being around the caucuses that my mother and grandmother helped organize. I remember going to the polls with my mom, talking to the people who are outside of it, trying to get a general idea of like, who's their candidate and what do they care about? And that's something that I really do emphasize is that when we're talking to young people and we're trying to get them to vote, that the first time I'm asking you to vote is 18 and now the entire future of our country is on your shoulders and if you don't vote, you don't care. And I've never talked to you about democracy before that. You don't have a civics class in your curriculum, whether that was elementary, middle school, or primary, you're not going to the state capitol, you're not meeting with your state representatives, you're not making politics intrinsic. Politics was very intrinsic to me. It's always been something that I was invited into. If we're watching MSNBC or Fox News or CNN in the house, even when I was 10, we were having age appropriate conversations about what was happening. And we were actually going to protests and advocacy. So the reason I can appreciate voting so much is that the framework I was given is that that's one piece of a multifaceted puzzle for how and when and what we do to make social change. And I do think that you know, going to law school has been a really important fixture of that because when we look at the challenges in response to our progress, we're making laws saying these IDs are allowable, but not these. We're saying that you can't give water in lines. We're challenging thousands of people at once in accordance to the racial sounding names to purge them off the records and we're not giving them notification of it. That requires a legal lens of analysis because we've got to go into these courts because we got to fight tooth and nail for every single right we have and, and have not yet lost because right. that's where they're going. We get black and brown people you know, registered and they gerrymander or they deputize random people to have guns to be at the poll to check you out, to enforce some moral authority and they just a guy. So that's, you know, the legal lens is important to that, I would imagine.
1: Yes, I, I and so you were, uh, you know, immersed in it at a young age. So what do you? What can we do to get uh, folks your age and younger to be engaged? How do we start that process with them if, if we've not yet? Because we, to your point, it is difficult to tell somebody you need to get out and vote, and you know you you just don't care and you un- you don't understand and get out the way, et cetera, et cetera. How do we get them engaged? Because I saw something in Washington D.C. in 2020. Uh, we were at, there was a protest in front of the the White House. People were protesting the the then current president who had lost the election. And there was a young man there from Howard University who says, uh, no, it was before the election, it was before the election. It was it was about the summertime. Because here Bradford Gray was out there too. And he said, I went to lost I went to Howard University. My I can't afford to pay my student loans. Nobody hears us. I'm trying to ask the question, how do I vote for somebody? Well, you, you don't have an option. It's either Biden or him. And, if, and this man was screaming in his face. This is why we don't talk to young people because they don't understand. And he says, yo, I'm standing here. I graduated from college. I cannot afford to live on my own. I don't have health insurance. Neither the Republicans or the Democrats are helping me. So tell me why I should vote, right? So to your, to, to, to that point, my question for you is, how do we get young people engaged in a way to make them so that we understand them? So let me just say this, so that we understand where you're coming from and B, that they're going to the polls to vote their best interest, whatever. No,
0: is. I, absolutely. I think the core question is understanding your audience. And that takes two things. One is that we're typically talking 18 to 29. 18 to 29 could be someone whose first generation has been handling their family's affairs for years because they're the only one fluent in English. That could be military enlisted. That could be parents. That could be so many forms of different professional, geographic, personal locales that when we break that down, we're able to have more interesting conversations because the conversation I'm having with Philly youth is different than I'm having with Pennsylvania's rural youth. They have different priorities, different needs. And then the other thing that I have to really emphasize is that I think all communities are very good at telling when you're disingenuous and when you're here for personal gain. And I think that means cultivating young voters is 365. If you know my school is underfunded, If you know we don't have enough bus stops for me to get to school, if we know that my curriculum is lacking, if we know that Miles for Liberty is coming into my school board system and trying to shout out African-American history, and I'm a 70% African-American district award in Philly or in D.C., and the first time I hear from you is when responsibility of democracy is on my shoulder, and you're not showing up there to provide resources, to be arguing at these town halls, to be going to our food kitchens, to be replenishing these communities well then why would i listen to you because i only see you when i want something or when you want something from me it has to be a very mutual engaging and sustainable relationship because i think young people have to believe that you care about them first
1: yes yes and so then the message then the message then should be to the people who are running for office who are currently in office what's the message that you want to give them
0: absolutely and you- be precise in it. And you have to know that the conversation with one young group is not going to be the same for the other. You have to be willing to multitask because you have multi needs and responsibilities. Yeah. And you got to go to these communities, I think, humble. Because if this is the first time you've been there, you got to eat that. The first sentence can't be like a James Baldwin quote. It has to be that I've been in office for 15 years and I've never been here. And that's a failure. And once we start with that honesty, then we can get into the community building and the recovery. But you got to come with, you know, your hat in hand. And I think a lot of people in the political sphere are unwilling to do that, especially when the alternative of ignoring and dismissing communities has worked. Because I don't necessarily have to enfranchise young people. I don't have to consider their needs, even though in 2028, millennials and Gen Z are going to be the majority of the electorate. So now we're shifting not just from do I want to hear young people, but hearing from young people is a non-negotiable because they're going to be the majority of my, uh, my constituency. So that's also a power shift that we have to take advantage of.
1: Right. And I often wonder if there's a reason and and you can tell me if I'm sucking canal water. Right. So is there a reason why they're not engaging young people on purpose, understanding that they're going to be the majority number in voting? Right. So if we, if we keep them out of the voting Keep them uh, uh, disinterested in voting, Nile, so that the same five people can vote to get you into office. Is that a part, do you, in your estimation, is that a part of what's going on uh, within the system? Do you think they really want young people to be engaged to vote or they just don't want us to hear our voices at all?
0: Well, I think that when you have private money and institutions involved in propelling campaigns and that really does shift whether or not I need to listen to you. Because I'm Say that again. Say that again, Niall. When we have private money and institutional influence in politics, then why would I prioritize you over the millions guaranteed to go into my ad network? Right. But then I think the second thing is and this is what they've been doing to black and brown people is like, why bother when I can just gerrymander and marginalize you? So that's what we've been seeing in the South. And that's what we've even been seeing in some urban epicenters like Philly. Well, not necessarily in the literal policies, but in the historic narrative. So why would I, like, literally there have been political conversations with strategists behind closed doors, secretly recorded, where they're saying the strategy for 2024 is getting voting polls off college campuses and making sure that college and university IDs don't count. We had the largest HBCU, you know, North Carolina A&T. They had to go to the Supreme Court because they attempted to cut their campus in half between new district lines to dilute their voting power. If I do that, then I actually don't have to come to your campus. We don't have to have a town hall. I don't have to have responsive policies. Just cut you out of it. And I think there are some people who have just found that to be easier. Yeah. So that's what I would say is the you know source of that problem. So where is the power in
1: the conversation of the vote for us? How do we how do we get a groundswell of people to understand what you just said? which then makes them irritated enough to come out and vote anyway, in their best interest.
0: That's think you're people where they are. So are you going into churches? Are you going into juvenile facilities? Are you going to after school programs? Are you going to labor union meetings? The joke that I always make is that in politics, sometimes we allow ourselves to get hit by slow moving trains. If you currently know what the voter registration reality is, you know that people are struggling to get to those polls, then are you meeting with your local greyhound providers and saying, hey, we'll do a deal where we'll meet at the church and we'll do a roundabout. Make sure we get people to the polls. Are we working with local businesses saying, hey, we'll cater the line? So that when we have disabled people or older people in the line, not even just young people, we can withstand those long waiting times as we fight those in the judicial system. So if we know what the problem is and we know who we want, even if we're looking at 2024, you have December, you have January, you have February to be on the ground and to be building that knowledge base you need to to be able to work effectively. Uh, and misinformation uh, and disinformation, I do have to say that, and misinformation and disinformation is crucial. It has to be a part of our narratives because we have an influx of information with less verification. Oh. And if we want young people to be engaged, we do have to make sure we tone that. When the Russians were attempting to influence our election, they targeted black Americans and they targeted us not just through very obvious propaganda, but through messaging of this country has been awful to us for 200 years. What's the point of voting? So we got to pay attention to how people are attacking our demographics as yes.
1: well. Yeah. Wow. Lord Jesus.
0: <laughs>
1: Niall, you are just this is just how, how can people find you at the League of Women Voters?
0: Well, I'm on our website. Uh, my email is n b r a s s at l w v dot org. You know we're gearing up for twenty twenty. Say that again. Say that again oh, slowly. Sorry. N b l a s <laughs> s at l w v dot org.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, got that. And you said you're gearing up for the like, twenty four. That's the concern for me. I think people aren't quite sure exactly what's happening in that like we know something is coming, but Lord Jesus. So tell me why you believe it's important for people to vote, especially for people in the 35 and under range.
0: Well, I think that's because we're at this really important fever point politically. We're between two very clear arcs of whether we're going to regress or whether we're going to improve. We had that student loan program shot down by the Supreme Court, right? So that takes something off the table for young people. You have affirmative action dismantled. So when we're looking for higher education outcomes for Black and brown youth, that's going to be further complicated. You can row versus wave, where we see that a lot of young women, the opportunities to pursue careers and even to pursue intentional family planning is disrupted by your inability to access consistent healthcare. And they're not even just now attacking the literal procedure, they're going against contraceptives. They're going against the notion of safe sex and safe engagement at all. And Mm -hmm. so that means that if young people don't speak and if we don't vote, they're very slowly taking us off the map, with or without us in the conversation. Come on, Nile,
1: My sister, happy (laughs) holidays. I will see you when you get off of this air, you go reach out to Nile and tell him you are now my political correspondent for 2024. The people are knocking down Facebook. They are talking about you in the most glowing ways that you give them hope for the future. They love what you've done. Thank your family. I think I said this to you the first time I talked to you. Thank your mama, your grandmama, everybody. <laughs> that really worked to get you engaged. And I am going to keep, because one of the, the tenants on this radio show is to make sure that young people's voices are heard. You are the perfect age. We'll engage more young people to have this conversation. Um, and 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 they'll listen to you and want to do something different, despite what is being fed to them. Does that make sense, Niall? Absolutely. Right? And I right? appreciate
0: the kind words. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah Somebody says I need her speaking From the top of the Entire state building Everybody can hear Yes, mama Yes, yes Nile, thank you so much My sister We'll talk again in January Because it's about to get Hot in the air For the entire year You have an amazing holiday And a happy new year Okay?
0: Thank you And thank you for having me
1: You're welcome, my sister bye Bye-bye, Bye-bye.